The title of my talk today is Uncommon Encouragement, and I don't know if I'm going to quite hit that as well as um, hopefully I will give you encouragement. I'm going to start the whole thing off with a question. What is our greatest need? If we look at just basic physical needs, we've got food and we've got shelter. And I grew up on a ranch that's just south of here in Powderhorn. And I grew up around a lot of cows. And cows don't really do much. They eat and they want to have a shed. But I want you just to imagine two cows doing cow things. You know, this is cow hands right here. So when I say cows, you do that. And one of them basically says moo. And it basically means... There's some grass over here, bossy, let's go eat. And that's about all cows do. Well, my main point is doing, I think we're more than just animals. I think we have the ability to think that we're higher beings than just animals. We plan, we think, we feel. Most importantly, we have the ability to ask questions. And maybe the biggest question we have is, who am I and why am I here? I know that at the very core of my being, I ask those questions. And how many of you ask those same questions? Who am I and why am I here? So with our higher consciousness, as opposed to our four-legged friends, I would argue that our greatest need is to have the answer to these questions. Who am I and why am I here? We need identity and we need purpose. And I'd also say that how we answer these questions will affect the way we live out our lives. And whether you're Catholic or Jewish, Asian or Caucasian, male or female, whether you believe there's a life after your existence here on earth, or you don't. I would suggest to you that down in our core, we still have these very same questions. Who am I, and why am I here? Basically, we're all in the same boat. We want to know who we are and why we exist. These are the very same questions that men have attempted to answer since the beginning of human history. Who am I? Who are we? Why are we here? It is the same questions that drive the two disciplines or the studies of philosophy and psychology. And the reason why I think it's important to consider these questions is because how we answer these questions usually determines what we do in our lives, what we do with our lives. Now, I want to focus a little bit more on the question of identity or who am I? And primarily because I think once we answer that question, it answers what do I do? Now, I am a CPA, and therefore I prepare tax returns. That's kind of an example of that. And this is a very, very busy world. And a lot of times we don't take the time to think of those questions to really answer them deeply. Or, we have a tendency 
to get sidetracked and use what I would call shortcuts to who we are, shortcuts to our identity. Most of these shortcut answers that we, excuse me, that we use derive from the following three. I am what I do. I am what others think. Or I am what I have. But as we experience our life, we find that most of these answers come up short. They don't really satisfy the question, who am I? For example, what do I do? Well, I prepare tax returns. So if that's the case, then most likely I would be up here saying this. The gain on Section 1245 property is ordinary gain. Recaptured ordinary gain. Unless, of course, the gain is in excess of the original cost basis. Then it's 1231 gain. And it's capital gain. Unless you have 1231 losses, which are capital losses, from prior years, and then you need to recapture those as ordinary gains. Now that's life-changing. In the first service, it was pretty funny because I could see Alicia Jackson over here and she was going, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. So at least one person was able to follow me. (laughs) But that's not who I am. That's not who I am here. I'm more than just a tax return preparer. That's not my identity. And I'd actually rather be thrown into a pit of snakes than be identified only by that. How about I am what anybody else thinks or what others think I am or say that I am? So someone might say you are this and someone else says you are this. Well, in the parlance of logic, you would have A and not A. Well, that can't exist. One negates the other or they negate each other. It doesn't work. So how's that for identity? You are this. No, you are this. No wonder we get so confused about our identity. And I think we can all see the shortcomings in identifying ourselves by what we own. I own a house, therefore I'm a homeowner. What happens if the house burns down? I lose my identity. And while these are exaggerated examples they do kind of show the failure of of using these shortcuts to answer who am I. And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and maybe even meddle in your life a little bit. What if you drink excessive amounts of alcohol? Is that your identity, an alcoholic? What if you have had multiple partners or partners outside of your marriage? Is that all you are as an adulterer? What if you have not succeeded in many things that you've attempted in life? Are you a failure? Or we're fat. We gossip. And I know some of these things might be true, but they're not who you are. They're not who we really are. They're not who I am. 
My point is that we get tempted to answer the questions of who am I with answers that are at best incomplete or at worst completely false. Or the answers keep changing on us continually and we run around in circles. Who are we? Who are we? Who are we? But I think down deep in the very core of your being, in your soul, you know that you're something more than what you do, what others say, or what you own. And it may be just a hope, and a small hope at that, that's almost extinguished, but it's still there. And stick with me, because I've got good news. And I'd like to pray for now, just for a minute. Father, thank you so much for the ability you give us to think and to reason. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would silence those voices that try to tell us who we are and that you would open our ears and our eyes to see you and to hear who you say we are. And I say this and ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now here's where I hope that I can give you some uncommon encouragement. And this encouragement will not be coming from me. It will be coming through me from God the Father above. And even if you're not a believer, I would encourage you to stay with me and just listen to what I have to say next. What if... Our true identity is so much more than who we are. I mean, (laughs) that doesn't make sense. Than who others say we are, than what we do, or what we own. What if God, who is beyond time and space, who knows everything we have done, everything we are doing, everything we will do, he knows what other people say about us, He knows everything we own, have owned, will ever own. He knows us deeply to the core. What if he makes us this offer? I will take all of that, every bit of it, I will take it. And I will exchange it for life from me. I will give you the right to be called my child. In John 1, 12 through 13, Jesus describes this. I mean, John describes this, why Jesus came to the earth. But, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the first part of this verse Him, his, and he refer to Jesus. So all who believe in Jesus have the right to become a child of God. Amen. You are a child of God, aren't you? Yeah. The second part of this verse, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This sounds very much like being identified by what you do, 
who others say you are, the will of man, and all that. That's what it sounds like. So he's saying, you're not this. You are born of God. Some of the benefits of being a child of God include you're his friend. You are the friend of the creator of the universe who is beyond time and space. You are loved unconditionally. Unconditionally. No matter what you've done, what you will do, you are loved. You can have uncommon peace. Deep down in your heart, there's a peace. You know. You can have life forever. We, out on the welcome table, we have this little flyer. And I could probably go on and on and on about the benefits of being a child of God. But take, take this out there on the front table. Just grab it and take a read through it and remember it. Now, I know I still struggle with my identity. I still have those questions. I know I'm a child of God, but I still have those questions. But I want you to know that we also have a friend in Jesus who knows these struggles. And I want to take a look at a time in Jesus' life where he came face to face with questions about his identity. In Matthew 4 through 1 and 11, this is right after Jesus was baptized and he's been led out into the desert. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All of these... I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Now what I'm going to talk about next is not completely my original thoughts. Um... I was visiting with my friend Spencer Nickel and telling him what I was going to do and he gave me this short little outline from Henry Nguyen's book, In the Name of Jesus. But I want to take a closer look at all of these different passages. In Matthew 4, 3 through 4, And then the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Look at the first temptation here. If you are the Son of God. Satan is calling Jesus' identity into question. Just like he does you and I. 
If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, it's not just turning the stones into bread. That's the issue here. It is the condition. What Jesus does, turning stones into bread, proves his identity. You see how backwards that is? That's false. Jesus knows the temptation that you face, that we all face, to want to define who we are by what we do. And the second, Matthew 4, 5 through 7. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And to understand this, we have to know that Jerusalem is where the temple is. And this is a crowded city. And there are people milling around all over in the temple court. Jesus is at the pinnacle of the temple. He's on top of the temple. And Jesus says, jump. No, Satan says, jump, Jesus. And what I think Satan's strategy here is to say, do something spectacular so that everyone will see that God comes and saves you. And then they will know that you are the Son of God. Again, it's backwards. Because of what you do or because of what other people say, you will be who you are. You see how that's backwards? And in Matthew 4, 8 through 10, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now we have to remember, Jesus knows who he is and he he knows why he's here. He has come so that we might give us life. He might reconcile us to God, his father. Now Satan also knows who Jesus is and he knows why Jesus is here. And what Satan is offering Jesus here is a shortcut. I will give you all of this. And because you have all of this, you will accomplish your purpose. You will save the world because you have all of this. Backwards again, isn't it? Jesus is who he is because who he is. Just like you and I can be children of God, not because of what we do, not because of who we are, and not because of what we say or others say about us are not because of what we own. We can be children of God. And when we face questions about our identity, let's take a clue from how Jesus responds. Jesus says, Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Be gone. So those voices that pop up in your head that say you are this, you are that, you are who you, or you are what you do, you are what others say. Say be gone to those. If you are a child of God, you are a child of God. 
If you don't have that identity as a child of God and you want it, now's the time. Accept that offer from God. All of this, who you are, what you've done, what others say you are, what you own, all of this in exchange for becoming a child of God. And you get that identity, child of God. And it's really a very, very simple prayer or conversation with God to do this exchange. God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he came to exchange his life for mine and to give me a new identity as God, as the child of God. And today we are celebrating a ceremony of believer's baptism. The water that we have here is ordinary water. It's hot today. Apparently we left it on. Joshua will testify to that. And we do this ceremony because those who have trusted Jesus or put their belief in their belief in Jesus want to make an outward declaration of that to the public. They're saying when they are baptized up here, I am a child of God and I want all of you to know it. Pretty much the same thing as wearing a wedding ring. I am married to Pam and I want all of you to know it. And if you wish to talk to one of us elders, we'll be happy to talk with you anytime. After the service, during the baptisms, anytime, we'll talk to you. Tom's here, he'll talk to you. Jimmy's back there, he'll talk to you. Josh is somewhere running around here, I don't know where he is. He'll talk to you. Stuart will talk to you. My wife Pam will visit with you. Or just anybody who is next to you, if you want to talk to them and pray to God, do so. And I want to leave with this. Jesus himself was baptized by John in the River Jordan. And after Jesus came up out of the water, God spoke out loud and he said these words, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus will say, or God will say the same thing about you. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. So the way we